So welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Talking Country with Brad and Chancy. Here we are setting up for another week. We're excited to be back with you guys to, to talk about a little more about agriculture and wildlife and the, all that that encircles, which is a lot. Yeah. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, everyone. Glad to be back. Back we had, here in the, at the Cameron Farm and Ranch. We had our breakfast this morning. Mm-hmm. We had our coffee this morning. And it's a beautiful day here in Central Texas today. Really nice considering what's coming for the following week. It's supposed to get pretty chilly here this week. A little cold blast coming. Hopefully nothing like we had last February, but it's going to be pretty close, I think. Sure is. It's going to be below freezing. They said maybe one day all day long. And then when you take, you know, into rain, that could cause for some slippery, sloppy conditions i know y'all up north laugh at us but i tell you if we get ice and rain down here in texas it shuts everything down there's schools out and everything hey and i teach at a school so i'm kind of a little bit pulling kind of hoping that it does snow and sleet just a little bit and the roads get a little slippery because that makes for a nice day off sometimes it does you got to make it up when it gets pretty i guess we probably need to feed cows anyway well i always that's what i always tell my bosses at school i said i don't understand why we have bad weather days because you can't do anything at home on a bad weather day yeah we need good weather days. Like, hey, it's too pretty to go to work today. <laughs> yes, this is a day fishing. This <laughs> is a good, t- let's take the day off. Let's regroup. Y'all go home, have a great day off. Yeah. Uh, and no, instead we get to stay home when it's all cold and nasty and mm. you don't even want to go outside. You just want to sit by the fireplace. Yeah, well, you know, in our weather, it's either hot or cold. And we only get a few days a year, some in the early spring and some in the fall, where it's really bluebird, what I say, nice days, you know, 60 degrees and chilly mornings and just pretty bluebird sunshine shining day man and today is one of those here it is yeah it's fishing day need to go hit the river (laughs) i mean it is that today uh so today we're going to talk about something that we really didn't have any intention of talking about but as it turned well i'm sure we would have talked about it eventually at some point yeah it's but uh, uh i was contacted this week you know it's kind of strange how people all over the world tune in and listen there's a a lady named eve bishop who Grew up in the Hamptons and has since moved to California. And she messaged me on Facebook. That's how I kind of, she got in touch with me, Facebook Messenger. And she said she's working on a series because I guess she said growing up in the Hamptons that that's really changing there due to a lot of people moving there. Of course, you always hear of a lot of wealthy people like up in the Northeast up there going to the Hamptons, I guess. It's, you know, nice place to, to, to visit. It's and, out on Long Island, ain't it? Oh, the Hamptons. Yes, I uh, think yeah, it is. On Long Island, so yeah. There, there's probably listen. Probably some people in New York listening who are like, "That ain't nowhere near where it's yeah. at." It's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, she since started this this four part series. She told me, and it, and she's titled it "Deer Humans," which she's going to highlight the interactions between the people and the deer there. As the deer are really getting out of control, there's just getting to be so many deer that they're becoming a nuisance to some people. But then you have the other side of people who really like all the deer, mm-hmm. and you know, are are just fine with all the deer being there and so so she's going to put together these different these different uh opinions i guess and these different thoughts behind of what to do about this problem being all these that all these deer are just taking off and reproducing and there's getting to be so many deer in this area and people too i mean oh and people too there's getting to be a lot of both and that's what the problem is ecological you know it's a lot of different factors and issues yes taking place in there because it's not just a new york hamptons long island problem this is getting grow nationally and it's even now it's been a texas problem too around austin in hollywood park and lakeway for a long time too but now starting to expand well issues starting to to increase and i foresee it increasing even more in the future when you go back to the biology of a deer 
they reproduce for many, many years. And most of them have twins. Yep, twins are the rule. And so if you're not doing something to to manage this 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 production you have going on of deer, the numbers are going to increase uh, oh. just naturally because that's just the way that they're set up to do. And so that so there's lots of factors that go into like into these neighborhood developments and all these residential areas to where it makes management of deer hard, I guess you would say. Absolutely. And so really in, it comes down to deer and Deer looking for more of the resources that we talked about, food, water, space, and then humans are actually doing the same thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, all of us are living creatures. We're all out there looking for food, cover, water, and space. Yes, you know? and, and those de- are the fundamentals. They are, and they, we as humans are looking for money. Yeah, and, and so which is a <laughs> because we have to buy resources. Yes, uh, and so so if you think about why people settled where they settled to begin with. You know, whenever the first people came over to America, I guess, well, where did they where did they settle at? Well, where these resources were most abundant, where you had the most space, where you had the most food, where you had the most water, where the climate was good. Yeah, abundant water. Abundant know. water. Mm-hmm. And so that that's where the first people settled at, by the rivers. Uh, there was good ground in the river bottoms. And the so and where the farming was good. And so probably guess where most of our big cities are now, well, in these areas where there was enough resources for people to actually to to do well to thrive yeah you know and so that's where so the problem with it is i guess now we're really starting to cover these areas up in concrete because they're now turning into cities it's just uh uh, all due to just an influx of people i guess you would say and people moving not only internationally like coming in from other countries but we also have people a lot of people probably more people moving domestically from state to state to state uh, is also an issue along with your natural just uh, your natural population growth which means births considered to compared Relative to deaths to death, i guess you would yeah. say and well to make your point what you were saying of course like if you look at our big cities and just say texas because that's what we're most familiar with i mean dallas fort worth you had the brazos nearby the upper parts and then also the trinity river you know water source you could navigate it you could fish it you could drink out of it. well they Same used to have barges that went barges, up and down yeah. the brazos wacos brazos river austin what is it colorado river you know most of your cities houston it has nearby the brazos river dumps in but it's also got a port there you that's know? right so you know fishing and industry and good farmland you know all these different things so a lot of these big cities initially you know formed i mean what i don't know the history i didn't look back but wasn't like austin called waterloo way back when you know i wonder why well there's a waterloo that. gin outside of taylor yeah. cotton gin interesting yes yeah, there so, sure is so i wonder why but something it, most all even back to prehistoric times it was tied to water like san marcus where i went to school they had the ocarina springs and they believe that was one of the longest populations of people still in existence from the very very primitive times say ten thousand years ago people were there all the way to now people are still living there well big part of that was probably that spring you know? well, we we just flew we knew that area was growing, but I didn't know it has been growing for that long. <laughs> yeah, it sure has. There was people prehistoric. I think they found some old, old, they've dated some of that stuff. And Oh, I remember last time I was there. It's one of the oldest, oldest places around, you know, at least for, in Texas for sure. People have been living there that long. Isn't that something? Because that spring, you know, it all started with that spring probably, you know, it was water year-round forever, you know, and that, that water attracted wildlife. Sure it yeah, did, yeah, and so, so there was something to eat. Yeah, and hunt and stuff like that. But and good cover. Yes, yes, but and since then, I mean, nowadays it seems like we've taken those areas, and those areas are what I call impervious cover now. You know, they've been put on 
shingles or rooftops and concrete and concrete washes out it doesn't go back in the soil you know and everything and then you just build and build and a lot of people move out of those areas and go into the suburbs you know the suburbs of those areas and i think that's a lot of what eve's dealing with as they move into these suburbs or move outside of these big cities they impact habitats and they impact agriculture as we move into those because uh, there's only limited resources there's only so much space out there Absolutely. And, and we've come up with an infrastructure now where you no longer have to live in a place where you could grow food. You no longer have to live in a place where you have actually have water because we can transport it over over the miles, you know, and get it from place to place to place. Sure. Uh, and keep a year, like, for instance, keep a year-round supply of, of food and yeah. and all, being so it grows in different areas of the country at different times of the year. It's, it's January right now. What I have for breakfast this morning, an avocado. That's exactly right. I can't grow an avocado <laughs> right now. <laughs> yes, you know, a little cold for that. Yeah, so there you it, That's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Berries and all that type of stuff is the same way. So now people are moving more, I guess, for financial reasons, I guess you would say. I think so. And, Especially here recently in the last, I guess, five, ten years, you know, moving from different states to states is probably a money thing. It, it probably is a money thing. Uh, some would say maybe it's a political thing, which me and Chancey won't get into that. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, uh, but but due to that, the South is gaining a lot of people, uh, especially Florida, Texas, and Arizona. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Has the pop the the population has really grown in 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 our, in those three states. Of course, we're in Texas down here, so we see it firsthand. Well, yeah, I think you saw just last year in twenty twenty one, our population grew by three hundred ten thousand. Yeah, three hundred ten thousand people. That's that's natural. That's uh, everything. Burst compared to deaths. That's domestic migration. Mm-hmm. That's people moving from other states to Texas. Yeah, but take natural births out. It's two hundred thousand. If you think about it, that's a whole big city. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a whole big city moving to Texas. Mm-hmm. You might as well put another big city on the map somewhere yeah. if you take take that many people and you you put them together. That's a that's and guess what they need limiting factors: food, cover, water, space. You got to and, and space being the Especially biggest problem. Wa- and water and water <laughs> water and water. See, in Texas, before we had three hundred and ten thousand people last year in two thousand eleven, we had a huge drought in the state of Texas. Huge drought. I mean, water was serious. They were telling people, don't water your yards. We're bad. Fires were bad. It, water was a huge issue, and water will be a huge issue again. Droughts are going to come back. Yo, droughts, they what, every 10 years, I think, or so, it's yeah, said. About. That was a bad one then in 2011. It was bad, and thank God that it started raining when it did, because I think it would have gotten really dire, and we'd have seen things happen, you know, as far as cities competing competing for water and ground charge because another thing if it doesn't rain you're not recharging your aquifer in our neck of the woods y'all we have aquifers a lot of the a water big part of under, texas gets their water rivers, from underground basically. rivers yes and if it's not raining or for land use or impervious cover whatever you want to say sometimes these aquifers don't recharge correctly and then that means that water can become a serious issue and i think it will again and now we've got more people coming here, and the more ground we cover in concrete, the more the the harder it makes it to recharge an aquifer yes, because now off. you get what they call runoff, and then it yeah, and, and comes into wastewater. It runs off. It doesn't filter back down into the ground like it's supposed to, which is a lot of our agricultural lands, yes, you know, our wildlife and our farmland. They help the water percolate back down into the ground. Whereas if you cover it with rooftops and concrete, like I said, they call that impervious cover. It doesn't soak into the ground. And, you know, being right outside of big cities, we see it a lot more nowadays. I mean, you can look at the erosion on the riverbank and tell that 
that there's getting to be more and more flooding as the, the riverbank is oh, yeah. sloughing off more. The trees are washed off. Trees are washing off. And we live uh, on a creek called the Big Elm Creek. And this creek drains water out of a local city, Temple, Texas. And that creek now floods. When it floods, it floods now. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it uh, due to all the the runoff, you know. And, and dams are a big problem on that stuff, messing up the kind of water cycle, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, uh, dams kind of add to that, but also the flooding and the cover. And it's, uh, it's a whole lot of stuff. But I'll get into that more of the flooding and the dams and the way that I believe. ecologically it could have been um, – River basin management, watershed management is something I'm pretty passionate about. And there's a lot of, when you take out the natural system and the hydrology of the bottomlands, it can change a whole bunch of stuff. It will look at, uh, there was a gentleman come in the feed store, and I don't have any scientific evidence behind this or anything, but he was telling me how bad it is on Lake Conroe. Uh That uh, due to all the water coming out of, uh, coming down there and stuff, you know, all the development going on around Lake Conroe. Yeah. uh, How bad. Flooding is way worse. Flooding, how bad flooding is down there. How many of those people that we had moving into Texas actually moved here from another state? From another state, I believe that was around 170,000 of them so moved from another state. Just in the year 2021, 2021 170,000 people new to Texas from another state in the United yeah, States. And around 30 from like another country. They call it international, international immigration. Yeah. So around 200,000 that just moved here to Two, Texas. 200,000 people. That's only in one year. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2021. Yes, and that's going up. That, that number each year is going more and more up uh, as far as people moving here. Uh, this, the curve the curve of the graph is getting steeper yeah. in the upward trend, I guess is well, the word I'm trying to say. So if it's 200,000 last year, it's going to be more than that well, yeah, I think in the pre- coming years. Predictions, and this is a publication that Dr. Kathy put out about overabundant deer, um, him and Sean Locke and a bunch of other good people. I think that their thing, and this was put out in 2019, they're estimating, you know, by uh, 2030, there may be as many as 33 million in Texas by 2030. And I don't think they were accounting for all this growth that's just happened in the last year. Oh, absolutely. You know? And this is just goes show. We, we've been out of college for, what, 20 years? When I was in college taking ecology, I remember because we had a presentation. I had to do it. I think there was 19 million people in Texas. And that would have been in 2003. You know, 19 million? 19 billion in Texas. So now, how much is there? You said 29 million? So in 20 years, it's grown by 10? Wow. You know, it's grown by 10 because I remember there's like 19 million in Texas, and it's what they said, or uh, it was on a presentation somewhere I remember hearing, you know. Man, so that, I don't know. And that seems like yesterday. That's yeah. pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And where are most of, the, most of the people moving out of? Well, if you look at it, California has lost a lot of people uh, due to people yeah. leaving for domestic Last reasons. Last year, 367,000 people left California. Just to domestically move, they yeah, left. They, they, left they left California to move to another state. Yeah. Uh, New York, another one. Yeah, three hundred sixty-five thousand left New York. Last and year. I believe uh, Illinois was another one. Illinois, yeah, a lot of people moved from Illinois. One hundred twenty-two thousand, and based on size, a whole lot of them moved from Washington D.C. too. Based on like percentage-wise, twenty-three thousand moved out. Yes, for total, out. like like for the total compared to the total number of people that live there. Live there, a percentage-wise, a lot of them were moving, and those were the big ones. If you think about it, they had a home there somewhere. Yes. That that they left, and now they're going to move and build another home somewhere else. Yeah. And f- probably for a better life, or yeah. or for a better job, or or for instance, in our area here, uh, 
jobs with, for the last five years tech jobs have decided to move to texas all of a sudden yes well yes. where was the old silicon valley at well still in silicon valley or where yeah. was all the tech jobs at they were in california mm-hmm. well where they moved to we, we we've gotten tesla here Samsung's, Samsung's moved come. here. A lot of these uh, Bitcoin mining things. The Bitcoin have come mining here. things, and so um, so where Central are all Texas your Central Texas is booming. Central Texas is booming, and where are the people coming from it, for those job for those jobs? Most of them are coming from the places where that's you know been going on for a long time, and they know a lot about that stuff. So that's yeah, because I'm interested. Those places, just take California for example, three hundred sixty-seven thousand people moved. How many people came in? Like, is there people moving into those houses? They exactly when well, I was. That's exactly what I because that was that was a loss yeah. of three of of three hundred sixty. So that's a lot of houses if you think about it, a lot of apartments, a yeah. lot of 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 Home, homes that are coming are open in. somewhere. Yeah. So and I'm just wondering if California are people moving to California too? I wonder. You know, I don't. You know, no, they were those three states. Uh, they were actually more. yes, I think so. Technically, yeah. I don't, this is all coming from the United States Census report that they put out in 2021. We'd have to go back and look at that. I don't remember. We just looked at it for the domestic migration yeah, yeah. Uh, part of it. Um, New York again is getting a lot of international immigrants, people from other countries moving in. Sure, as is Texas, as is. Uh, Florida and and I'm not sure about Arizona. I don't know if they were getting many uh, moving in from other other countries or not. But so people are coming in from from everywhere into into the into Texas, which is what we're interested in. Yes, is, is Texas? I guess you would say most of them are probably I'd say moving into our area, probably in the yeah. in the Dallas Fort Worth Austin College Station Waco area yeah if y'all are familiar with texas or have something the geography of you got dallas fort worth up north and then austin down to the southwest of there and houston to the southeast of there and those and then san antonio a little further south but not much further south than austin but those are connected by three giant <laughs> interstates basically i-35 runs from dfw to san antonio and then i-10 from san antonio to it runs east west to houston and then i-45 and that area in between is where we're at, and that area is growing big time, yes. super fast. And it's a very valuable area agriculturally. It's most of our blackland prairie. Uh, most of our blackland. Yes, it's a strip of blackland dirt that runs right up that area, right through the center of it, really. Yes. And as the as as more and more people are moving in from other states, from other countries, people are being more people being born than are 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 dying. I guess you would say natural growth growing on. Well, it's getting covered up pretty quick mm-hmm. uh, at a very fast rate, and it's urban almost kind of it's urban sprawl is basically what it is. As this happens, you get more and more people, you get more and more houses. Well, that 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 starts to to interfere with some of the not only the farming and the food production that type of thing, which which we need to conserve as much as we can, and which is a soapbox of mine because. Because food and fiber. There, food there, and fiber. There's a lot of places that you could build a house, but there's very few places where you can grow food at. To feed yourself. To feed yourself. Yes. And we do very little to protect that. No, and we don't can't grow. Last I checked, it's very hard to grow corn to feed yourself or anything on concrete. On, you can't grow it on concrete yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need water. You need water, and it's all running off, you yep. know, into the ditches, and 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 we're not saving very much of that. But there's a lot of places where you could build houses at. There's a lot of places you could build certain industries at that doesn't cover up the land we need to grow food. And as more and more people move to America, not only does does America depend on America to grow food, the world depends on America to grow food yes. as well. I mean, we're so far we're way we're we're ahead of the game as far as agriculture is concerned. 
we can produce a lot of food on the resources that we have mm-hmm. and and we've been able to, to increase our production per acre due to better genetics due to uh bt uh genetics and that type of thing to feed more people with less acres but there's going to come a day when that's going to get tougher and tougher groundwater is already running out in certain parts like west texas i remember 20 years ago when i worked up in west texas and it may have changed since then i'm I, i don't know for sure if it has or not but there was places that they didn't have the irrigation anymore to grow corn there they had to revert back to like cotton and sorghum and wheat really? things that took less water mm-hmm. uh to grow and because groundwater is becoming an issue sure. due to the recharging and due to more people sucking it out uh when you start sucking more water out than you're putting back in well you're mm-hmm. going to have an issue there you know but it's uh, not even just agriculture you said that but no it's in texas, no it's for us in texas where do most of our wildlife and natural resources occur they occur on farms and ranches private lands yes I mean, private lands are everything as far as they're producing the food and fiber, mostly in Texas, you know, the farmers, the landowners. But there's also, that's also who owns the land that has the land where our wildlife occurs. The stuff that we love are scenics. That's also where our aquifer gets recharged from. Absolutely. It's also where the air helps get filtered and cleaned, all this clean air space out there. So these farms and ranches that are now being encroached upon and being by urban sprawl and growing out in black prairie getting built houses all on it's been going on for a long time but it's really been supercharged in the last five years it really has been the last two three years it's been supercharged yes um and we're seeing it more and more and more well when those houses gone not only is it taking out farm but it's also taking out wildlife habitat like i said texas most, our, our, most of our, the 90% of our wildlife occurs on private lands, and most of those are farms and ranches. Absolutely, and wherever you build these, these, these subdivisions, wherever you have to do all this subgrading where you have to dig 6 to 10 feet of black dirt out and you bring in field dirt, you pour concrete, you're never going to farm that again. That, that's gone forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Once, once you've – there was a professor I had at A&M, and I, uh, I think they even put this on a T-shirt at the time, but it said that uh, we owe our very existence to the top six inches of soil and the fact that it rains. And that's very true. Amen to that. That's very true. I mean, everything that we have, it, it, you know, the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear comes from that six inches of soil, and which there ain't that, that soil and that, that amount of rain isn't all over the place. It's just in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And it's always amazed me that we've, we set aside all this, these national parks and all this stuff for wildlife, but the places we grow food on, you know, we do very little to protect that. It's just, you know, I mean, even even in cities and stuff, you have you have a zoning in a city where you can't build businesses in this residential area, you can't build houses in this industrial area, but you get out to the farmland yeah, our, where we're growing our food in our area. In our course. area, grow whatever you want to grow. What I mean, plant whatever plant whatever you want to plant build whatever you want to build mm-hmm. you know and and so who's got the most money to pay for that land is it the farmers no absolutely not no. you know it goes probably commercial to residential to uh, probably i'd even put wildlife above farming it seems like people will pay more for a place with good hunting on it than they will for a place that grows good food but mm-hmm. but uh and so so that's leading to land getting swallowed up by people i guess you would say sure so what Eve is gonna is talking about is is how this is creating a conflict between people and deer. It's already going on around here too. Yeah, and it's not just deer. I mean, when you take get rid of wildlife habitat to build houses or something in the wildlife world, there's different kinds of species. You've got opportunists. You've got specialists. You've got some some animals are easy, can easily adapt to change. 
White-tailed deer are one of them. Coons are one of them. Coyotes are one of them. What's an example of something that can't change? Like a a specialist, okay? A blind salamander in the San Marcos in some of them aquifers or something. Something that only occurs in one place. And they're the ones that become our endangered species. Yes, usually. A cheetah is a good example. A cheetah is not built for brawn. Or for strength to fight off, like if it makes a kill and hyenas come, or jag, or not jaguars, but leopards or lions, it can be run off of a kill real easy. It can't really defend it. It's built for speed. It's a specialist. You know, it's speed. It's not brawn. So if, if basically the Thompson gazelle ever figures out to wait, a way to outrun the cheetah, the cheetah's doomed. You know, it's bad shape. <laughs> you know, so, but other specialists, like a lot of our endangered species are specialists. They are. They're not. They couldn't adapt to, to yeah. what was going on. Yeah. They're, they're just not broad adapted, you know, uh, to black Blair is a good example of not a specialist, but an opportunist, you know, they can live in urban environments, you know, change. Well, what is that one? Don't we have a, a frog that's in central Texas, there's that that could become threatened, or what is it that? Uh, oh, a Houston toad. The Houston, Houston oh yeah, toad's yeah, the toad, endangered yeah. species. Yeah, it's already. Oh, it's already yeah. on the endangered species. It's on the endangered species, and it's a specialist. It is. It occurs in a specific soil type. You know, a very specific soil type in a fire maintained ecosystem. Which I'd work a lot with Texas Parks and Wildlife and trying to get landowners on board and toad have because they're just a cool critter. But um, it's a specialist as well. And once those are once that. Once its habitat is gone, it does, it can't adjust adapt well to a new no, one. No, I mean you think about a toad. If there's not habitats nearby, it's just not going to pick up and walk across off I-35 and go find some new habitat if it's five miles away. You know, they they just don't disperse like that. You know, uh, highways are a big problem for toads. Really tough to cross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so are look at the highway masters. in front of any big rain event, yeah. and you'll see how well they are at crossing roads. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, you know, they need what I would call that juxtaposition and proximity and like, you know, corridors. You know, habitat fragmentation is a huge problem for the Houston toad. And so, uh, mm-hmm. for deer, it's not a problem. Not as much. Habitat fragmentation can be a problem. You know, well, but I'm, it's really not. They're uh, for deer if it's wide enough. But they're pretty adaptable. You know, they can live in a wide range of places, even towns. They can yes. do very well in suburban areas, for lots of reasons. Think about it. When you as these as these. <laughs> towns encroach into this habitat the deer can adapt and, and maintain their basically habitat river bottom has been you know built on or changed but they can still survive in that well, urban habitat and people love to feed deer but they don't really love to feed houston toads no no yeah <laughs> so so you've got that going on too you they're know. cute they are cute and yeah. so so you have a species here that has two babies per year Okay, and and once the, once they've gotten started in a neighborhood, yeah, you they, can't hunt there. Well, you know, it's not so much that you can't hunt; it's just ordinances. You know, maybe in a town. I mean, the state law, Texas Parks and Wildlife, doesn't have like a law that says you cannot hunt. If you know, but I think the town you live in, or the homeowners association, and whatever, they well, probably okay, have so, an ordinance says you can't hunt. And so, speaking of that, so like it's up in the air on who's responsible for managing these deer. Oh yeah, in these neighborhoods. So you know, some people say Texas Parks and Wildlife. Yeah, their want job. the state to do it, yeah. yeah but, and then other people are like, you know, low, yeah. you know, it's, you'll stay out of my. We need my, to let the hunters do it. Let you the hunters, yeah. yes, yes. And this is it's good that you brought this up because this is important and it's something we need to clarify on two different terms. What I call regulation and management. Well, the state, Texas Parks and Wildlife, for our state, it's in charge of the regulatory. It sets the seasons and it sets the bag limits and it sets the harvest quota, you know, and everything for white-tailed deer. But, and they offer publications for education and everything else like, but they don't set, like, they can't make you manage your land. 
you know, to shoot. They'll give you a re- they'll give you a recommendation sure. like, hey, do X and do O, but they're not going to come in there and actually and mandate and, you and, and, and to take do it. A control of the situation and yes, make you do it. They're not, and you know, the libertarian in me tells me, thank God that you know, because I wouldn't want them doing anything. You know, being told, whenever you're going to do this, you're going to manage it this way, you're going to do that. So they give the guidelines based on good scientific principles, and they make the regulations of it and set the thing. But then it's left up to individual landowners and in rural areas where you and I occur, overabundant deer aren't really a problem. You know, right. they can become, but usually we can come in, knock out a bunch of does, don't live in a city. You know, we own the land. We're, we can kill within those regulations that the state says. How many of the state says to do with yeah. what you do? Yeah, and if you have a problem with overabundant, you can fill out for some paperwork with the state and get on Managed Lands Deer Permit, which is a habitat-based program, to kill more deer, extend your season. If you have to, they'll allow you to do that. You know, so they set the regulations, but they don't come kill them or make you kill them. They set a regulation. A recommendation but they don't and a limit and a limit but they don't make you uh have to kill that many absolutely so a lot of people want to push the blame on the on the um state when it's really not there it's you know they didn't a, build all the houses no they didn't they did and also they didn't make the rules for the homeowner association that says you can't hunt in town or you can't shoot a gun in town. i think that may even be a city ordinance i know it is in in I'm sure here where we live, I'm pretty sure that yeah. there's a there's a, you can't well, for shoot. They don't want uh, yeah, absolutely. Idiot out there shooting. I wouldn't want to. I, I wouldn't want to live in Chancey's neighborhood and see a guy with a with a thermal scope next to me in the <laughs> middle of the night. You know, sh- shooting hogs. I guess you say with with me living half a uh, acre away from him. Yeah, I mean, in height, when density of people is a lot. You know, hunting can be an issue, especially even in small tracts of land. You know, you got to know your backdrop, and that just goes back to hunter safety and ethics. You know. But uh, so because so these suburban areas have some serious issues with deer and also predators. You know, in these urban areas, they don't get as much. Pre- I mean, you get the occasional coyote and bobcat, you know, in town, but it's not mostly really a cover a, issue for them, probably. Yeah, but they're occasionally there. They travel corridors and everything, but they're not really limiting that deer herd in urban areas because predation ain't a big factor. You know, people are fertilizing. Hunting's not a big factor. Hunting. Yeah, so and you actually can live set up forever. and you they live forever. You, know, and you actually ten years plus. You probably set up an eco, like a habitat that was not the same, but almost equal to what those deer had before as far as the plants people grow in their yards. Yeah, because like, they're fertilizing them. So, so you could grow plants that deer don't like. But, uh, uh, but, I mean, they're not, you know, a lot of the flowers that you plant and different things, deer shrubs, like those things. Oh, yeah. The shrubs. They're fertilized, so it's like hiding. Oh, man. I mean, the richest probably soils in the world are probably in a lawn in, in a subdivision, you know. Because <laughs> people, you know, tend to over, it's such a small area. You got to buy a full bag of fertilizer. You might as well use it. Yeah. And so the the grass is high in, or the, the forages, I guess, are high, you know, in, in nutrients. Yeah. And, and the deer got good stuff to eat. People like people, to feed them. Some people like to feed deer. And that's where other ordinances come in you know depending on i guess the socio cultural aspect of deer you know some areas are okay with feeding deer some areas not and you've got conflict that comes with people that i mean because we kind of talk, we talked about biological carrying capacity and one of the other ones the carrying capacity it doesn't change it's whatever the land can handle well there's another kind of carrying capacity out there that's called cultural carrying capacity. And it's the amount of deer or wildlife or whatever animal that humans are willing to accept until they start getting ticked off, basically. And that's a different level for different people. Yes. It could yes. be too – like for me being a farmer yes. and them deer eating the, the, the cotton plants, the deer eating the tops out of the corn plants yes. – 
one deer is too many deer for me, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But then you got Chancey here, who you know, who's a wildlife biologist, and so his number of maximum deer is a lot more than what mine would be. More than likely, if you're a child, yeah. And then somebody lives in town that's growing a garden, and the deer keep mowing over his garden every year. His level his, of his point, level is pretty low. His level, but his neighbor who doesn't grow gardens and loves to feed the deer because she or he loves to look at the deer and just loves to watch them. Their tolerance is pretty high. Their tolerance may be so much they'd like to feed them out of their hands or make sure, you know. So all these different levels and people are competing. And you're putting a lot of lot of people together, too. Yes. Uh, you know, who, who have different ideas and opinions. And that's what Eve's whole, whole – uh, that's what her series is going to highlight is the different opinions from the people in her area up there and how they wish – how they – what they would like to see done with the deer. Yes. And, and – it's it's a controversial issue, but the science is pretty clear. On it. It's very controversial. Yeah. Uh, but the science is carrying capacity and biologic and population dynamics. I mean, you know, that movie Bambi was put out years ago. And I don't know, from a while, as a wildlife biologist, I can't stand that movie. You know, I mean, it just sets a precedence. It creates this, makes people believe that mother nature and wildlife is out there is some shangri-la utopia and it's just not the case there's predators mother nature is a very can be a very harsh harsh environment and you know those animals are adapted to do it to live in that it can be very brutal and we're seeing the same problems again here in central texas with the deer especially around austin you're getting to the edge of the hill country there a lot of a lot of uh, deer issues going on there, wild hog issues going on there. As more and more people tend to come in, and more and more people are coming in, it's becoming a bigger the and bigger issue. The deer issue is going to grow. It's going to start leaving less Austin and San Antonio, but it's going to start growing in, into these areas. So, it's going to happen. Same. It's not just deer. It's other feral hogs. It's going to be squirrels. It's going to be uh, raccoons. Black lamb, raccoons. In the blackland prairie, it's going to be rattlesnakes. You watch. Oh, yes. As they keep moving in there, I guarantee you they're building houses and subdivisions and everything, because most of our rattlesnakes like western not but western diamondbacks occur in the blackland prairie and you know they can't you know they can't do well with impervious cover of course but a lot of these places are being subdivided in what i call like little ranchettes five acres ten acres you know and there's plenty of cotton rats or whatever and they're being put into pasture so there's going to be in and if you have apartments that back up to there with playgrounds and things like that they'll move right on there rattlesnakes i think are going to become an issue and i tell you these people maybe someone from california are kind of used to rattlesnakes but uh that's going to be a wake-up call for some of these folks moving in the black land prairie i think yeah absolutely it is and and you know you've got the copperheads on the other side of the river over there too sandy land yeah Mm -hmm. and so what are some methods that we have to actually manage these deer and deer in these in these increasingly increasing population yeah increasing urban areas i guess you would say well there's several techniques and they basically can be broken down bradley uh into two different categories because once again you take the natural yeah the natural part of it away because there's no predators yeah or not any to make a significant impact on the population Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then you know, of course, so, so there's not as much predators. There's no hunting. So those does, which you're usually twins are the rules, they can live to be ten plus years or older. You know, ten plus years easy, and have twins every year. And so I mean, the, the population can grow very fast in a short period of time. 
um, in these areas. So. You still have the problem with disease, I guess. Yeah, you have the Maybe disease. that takes out some of them, maybe. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, the, and it, and as that, they get that talks about ticks, you know, the more deer, you know. So, you know, Lyme disease is an issue in lots of places that have these areas, these problems. So Lyme disease, and Lyme disease doesn't affect deer per se, but it affects humans, you know. So, and disease. So deer are carriers of it, but yeah, it doesn't but really the affect tick. them. It's the tick. Okay. And the tick, deer carry the ticks, you know, and those can get on us. And I think the life cycle of a tick, you know, or any parasites, fascinating, actually. And I don't know the exact life cycle, but it's got to get on like a, a rat or a mouse or a rodent, and then it moves to a deer, and then that deer can get on a person or something like that to make the disease the function. But as far as control methods, you've got to break it down into two categories, lethal and non-lethal basically and some examples of non-lethal techniques would be fencing i got deer getting in my garden well there's a put, way put a high eight foot high fence deer fence around it you know you're deer putting pre- a band-aid on a problem put but a you're fence on it hey that's yeah. something you can do but then you gotta look at a eight foot you know <laughs> and if you gotta live in a city that might not have certain you know so instead of a privacy a, fence you gotta put a game fence up game Jesse. fence up because deer can jump <laughs> how would your neighbor like that yeah yeah or, you know, electric fence. You know, you can do that. That's an option, too. So you can fence stuff. Say you're getting in your garden or they're getting in your yard, you can put a fence around your yard. That's one way to keep them and out. And so that does that, that fixes that problem. You don't for fix you. the part. Of, for you. <laughs> yeah. It fixes the part for you, and, and it doesn't fix the part for for them, you know, the car accidents. No. And, and I mean. No. You drive up you drive up and down the highways, you know, on the outskirts of, of town, and there's just lots of dead deer yeah. in the in the ditches. You can also other non-lethal ways to try to curtail is don't plant things that deer eat. You know, if you're going to plant landscape plants in those areas, try to plant some. There's some plants that deer don't like. To Do you eat happen like. to know any of those yeah, off the top like of your land, head? There's a lot of our native ones, you know, that they don't like, like and that are pretty and blue, like lantana. Lantana. Oh yeah, very they pretty. won't usually eat lantana. Um, a lot of your uh, sages, you know, like well, like mealy sage for sure, which makes a beautiful purple. It's a pretty little sage. They don't eat that. I don't think they eat wax myrtles too much. You know, I'm not saying if they get really hungry, they're going to eat just about anything they can. But there's some deer out there, and there's a list. I can't think of it in my top of my head. There's a list. You can go Google TPWD deer resistant plants, and it's plants that are ornamental. They're adapted to our landscape. Most of them are native that deer tend to not eat. Yeah, I and wonder. So that's, that you can landscape with those. That will help keep deer out of your yard, you know, and eating your plants. Yes, or go plant some plants that deer give. Give your neighbor plants that deer's uh, that deer like for Christmas or something. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, people that love deer, I guess that they're probably planting deer food and just having to replace them because if there's overabundant deer, they'll kill those plants eventually if they like them. But what are some of them that they do like that you find growing in neighborhoods? Uh, any of your little oaks, you know, like people plant a little. Oh, with young, the acorns. Yeah, well, yeah, but even if they planted a young small tree, you know, bucks will rub on them during the right time, or if they're small enough to grow them within reach, they'll eat any of those, and then. I can't, so many of your ornamental shrubs, you know, just like uh, I think your photinias and a lot of the stuff that people pick for pretty blooms and stuff, like the deer will really hammer. Even the ones that make the little berries? Yeah, some, I mean, just so much of our landscape plants. And like I said, there's a list of them, but I know deer will eat a lot of them. They like them a lot. But if you can try to landscape with the ones they don't like as much, then you don't have as, they're not attracted to your, to your property from a food source, per se, if they don't like the food there. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and so, you know, another non-lethal way, and we sell it here at the feed store. It's, it's, it, I don't know if they work. Maybe you do know if they work. They make like a deer repellent. 
They do make repellents. They, it's all temporary. They get used to it. Deer aren't dumb, and, you know, because there's other other. Do they work lethal. though? Do those do those... maybe for a little while until they get used to it? Is it an odor or what is it that keeps I've them? I've heard that it's human hair or human urine in some of it. Oh wow! You know something like that, but. They get used to it. If they're already living in an urban environment, stinky people is something they smell every day. That's every true. Every single day. So don't. Now maybe in the, <laughs> in the wild, you know, if they had never smelled anybody, then yeah, they might freak out about wolf urine or something But or people. But for the most part, I just think it's a temporary fix. It's a Band-Aid. Because other, other non-lethal ones are visual. People put scarecrows up on their place. Yeah, it might work for a day or two, and then guess what? They're like, oh, you know, that thing hadn't moved in two days. So it's what I you're don't saying know. is don't don't go out and start peeing in your yard just yet. There's a good chance that <laughs> they'll, it, get it's not, it. they'll get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're going to do that, just do it once a month or so. so yeah. yeah, Keep them guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Barking dogs help keep deer away. I bet dogs yard. are good at Barking keeping dogs, away deer. Yeah, and at night they really help keep your neighbors awake too. They and do. you, yeah, and you. Yeah, then you got that issue. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other. That's a whole other topic there, I guess. So those are all non. Is there any more non-lethal ways of of controlling deer trap trapping? Yeah, yeah, trapping. But when you got to think about deer. Most of the places in Texas, if you okay, so if we trap deer out of an area where they're overabundant, where are we going to take them? Because where they're overabundant, there's there's already a lot of deer all around that all area. Around that. Anyway. That's why they're overabundant. There. Yes. Yeah, because and, they've already the resources are used up. 30 years ago, there was a place. Yeah, 30 years back. You could probably find a pretty good spot Mm -hmm. to dump deer at. But in Texas, most of the white-tailed deer habitat in Texas, I'm just going to go out there and say this, and I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think most of the white-tailed deer habitat in Texas is already at carrying capacity. It's full capacity. It's already at biological carrying capacity. I agree with you because it seems like everywhere you go now you see deer. I mean, you don't have to look very hard for them. So unless there's a property that needs deer or wants deer that's approved by the state, there is a process out there. It's a non-lethal, I guess you could say, that's called TTT permit, which is trap, transport, and translocate, which, you know, you could take deer. But those people in those areas, the suburban areas, they – a lot of times they'll frown it, depending on the cultural stuff. Because those deer, usually on that TTT, um, they're used for hunting. You know, they they will be hunted eventually because they're taken to another area. Most of the time they're hunted. So that's turning a non-lethal thing into a lethal thing Kind there, of, kind of, yeah, kind of. And like I said, a lot of the cultural and social issues with the deer-human-urban conflict, they don't, some are all about tri- trap transport and translocate and then other ones oh i don't i'm all about trapping them and moving them to utopia or like when i say utopia, i'm talking about shangri-la you know <laughs> paradise but uh not, not the town utopia uh, that's, that's yeah. where the first thing yeah. popped into my head yeah. utopia texas yeah. but uh but you know they're not oh i don't want them to go there if they're gonna be shot you know or hunted you know so you know just other cultural issues that we deal with get into some lethal ones one of them that i think is a great program that's just kind of based well, well before you do that chancy yeah. with the with the transport you have to have permits yes for that. that's Texas highly regulated wildlife yes you just yeah this is something it, you know we're discussing but before you ever got to a ttt permit or ttp permit you would have met with homeowners associations you would have had discussions you would have had biologists out there from Texas parks and wildlife specialists from extension AgriLife, you know private biologists talking discussing before it ever got to that because you have to have a permit through the state to do any of that because like i said they're regulated 
and you got to have permits to move them and do certain things for because they're they're a game animal. Yes, to trap deer mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, yeah, and and there's got to you know, and then you got to have the expertise to do it. You know, it's, I guess you, they send like a state trapper in there. And well, no, there's a lot of them private. Oh, so is there? There's yeah, some contractors some private, that do that. Yeah, some incredible private biologists out there, are private game traders. You know, that'll go in there and um, they've got the drop nets and the, they've got everything. They do it for a long time, know how to do it. They'll feed them for a long time, get them used to come, and then trap them. And then they can be taken to another property that that permit's already been set in place. And those there's all kinds of stuff. Those deer have to be tested for diseases and CWD and all kinds of things before chronic can, wasting disease. Yes. Is that what that is? Yes, which that's a whole nother topic. But yes. uh, we would um, before they can be moved, you know, and that's the trap transport translocate. Uh, so so that so that's about the only non lethal options you have. Yeah, really. Just either to build a fence, to 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 trap and relocate, Try to scare them off, scaring them off, scarecrow. Yeah, and uh, like you said, but most of these things they become they're temporary. Just, they, I think. they 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 just become used to it, and it's like crow guns on like crows on a pecan yeah. tree with the crow yes. guns. I yeah, mean, same after thing. they hear it so many times. Mm-hmm. They don't, it doesn't bother them Other anymore. than fences, you know, or dogs, you know, I mean, that can probably be more of a permanent thing, especially mm-hmm. fences, you know. You, you know, if the deer are getting on your property and you have five acres, you don't want them on your property, put a high fence around it. Guess what? They won't get in there. Well, anymore. then you cut down on the acres for the deer even more, yeah. and so now you've increased the population expensive. of the deer. <laughs> and it's very expensive. <laughs> yes. yes. And then you might have one that slips inside the fence and can't get back out. Yeah, it happens. And then you got another issue. Uh, but anyway, so that brings us to the lethal control methods, I guess. Yes. Yeah, and I guess we'll just start with hunting. So, individual hunting. If you have a hunting license in Texas, technically you can hunt a deer where it's allowed, landowners allowed. So, um, some of these, that's an option. Some of these municipalities or homeowners associations or this urban sprawl, they could let the hunters, technically, let the hunters shoot them. But the problem is, it's like, you don't particularly trust that hunter or your neighbor. You don't know what, you know, unless you only hire a group of individuals <laughs> to do it. You know, you're hoping they're pretty up to date on their gun safety. Sure, and everything like that. So usually, yeah, it's an option, but most municipalities don't do it. Some of them do hire sharpshooters. So sharpshooters are usually professionals. They'll usually put suppressors on. They'll go out at night. I had a professor when I was in college that actually did this. Um, he would go to, like, Austin and Hollywood Park, or I'm not sure exactly what areas, but he would go and do that. And, you know, they sharpshoot them, and they'll bait them and pre them. And, you know, it's very humane. It's a very humane and quick death um, done. And then uh, they take the meat and, and they, they donate take, it. They donate it. So that's, that's an option. And most of the time they're hunting them out of like a, an elevated stand. So they're, the trajectory of the bullet is going down towards the ground versus it's, on the it's ground. It's not a lot of hazards. Most of the sharpshooters is done in an area that's selected by the town members, by the homeowner associate. Okay, down at the park. We're going to trap them here or we're going to bait them here. And then at night, then we're going to shoot them here. You know, that's kind of the way the sharp. It's all based on the, the general layout of the of the urban area. And then another one that I think is probably really good and probably the best, in my opinion. Now that's all it is is opinion. Is another program that the state has. It's called the trap transport and process. And those animals can be trapped. Same thing with a with a uh, a, a professional comes in traps those animals. You know baits them, catches them in a net, and then those deer, since I said carrying capacity is already, the habitat's already at carrying capacity in the state for most places, those deer are then sent directly to a processing facility where they can be processed and then given to food banks. 
are given to hunters for the hungry. Used to feed of, people. Used to feed people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And which is an excellent deal. The only problem is somebody has to pay for the processing of those deer. Generally, they do. Yeah, generally somebody has to. And, you know, that could be something that the homeowner associated, I would think. You know, all this stuff, you need to have a committee and have discussions and get everybody on the same page. That, you know, if the deer are that big of a problem, how many people are, I mean, just look at co- collisions in your community. How many people hit deer this year and how much was the damage? You know, well, if everybody that homeowner association, to be in that homeowner association, they donate an extra 15 bucks a year to go to the TTP program to help process, you know, or, or package That's that That's exactly right. To give to a church or give to a homeless shelter or something like that because the deer are good to eat and they're super great for you to eat. It's very, you know, lean, a lean meat. It's good for you. Your body does well and I love them. I mean, I eat more deer than I do beef. Very healthy. Very healthy. Very good. Yes. and So and, and it'd be a waste, you know, to... To not do something. Well, it's number one, it's a waste of game. You can't do it legally. Te- there's Texas regulates. You can't shoot a deer and just leave it. Drag it off in the sticks. Yeah, it won't waste a game. So that trap transport process is a good program that Texas has for some of these areas that are experiencing urban deer problems to deal with the situation. And it probably all goes back to the to – the, I'm sure a lot of this money for these programs and stuff all goes back to the – the taxes and stuff that are paid on top of ammunition and all the oh yeah a lot of the Pittman Robertson I mean they're the ones the Pittman Robertson acts and a lot of that stuff is hiring biologists and hiring helping with publications and education kind of like we talked about on our first or second episode. sure like you build your licenses license, license purchases sales. and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff is going into to to helping to manage these deer yeah in this way and do all that they can do in order to keep the numbers yeah. where they need to be because within urban situations it gets a little tricky like I said out here where we live Brad we can manage our deer herd you know you don't have to worry about calling mr slavic or something if you want to shoot three does on your prop or two does you know on your property in a buck you know you don't have what to you're worry. licensed for you're your license for yeah yes. uh-huh and that yes you know, it's not an, an issue and most of the time you do that you can keep your deer numbers within the carrying capacity you know it's not an issue it's before. hard it's still hard still hard i and, mean no, the, the, the even with all the the different management practices that you have available mm-hmm. to you out there yeah the numbers are still growing oh yeah they uh, really are i mean the, the number of deer is still growing so imagine that setting in even a better a environment because you got urban. the artificial carrying capacity of yes of, no of, predation no, no hunting Yes, something has to be done there. Yeah, whether whatever side that you're on, as far as some people love the deer and don't want to see any of them killed, you know, and some people hate the deer, whatever, whatever side that are, there was one common ground, and both of you can agree that there's too many deer. Yeah, we've it, got a. You have to manage a, them for the good of the people and the good, good of, of the, the deer. deer. Yes, it's like what well, we keep going back: strike a balance between the needs of those species and the or the needs of those wildlife species and the needs of people. Sure. Yeah, strike that balance. That's where, you know, that, and as urban sprawl continues and more and more people move, this human wildlife conflict is just starting, I believe, in my opinion. It's going to get worse. Well, it's a competition for space. Yeah, limited resources. It's a competition for resources is what it is. Mm -hmm. And And they're adaptable. If they weren't adaptable, if they were selective, they probably would go extinct in those areas. Sure. But coons. You know, deer, they can adapt. They yes. can adapt and live in a lot of those environments. And as we're learning this, even biologists are learning, too, about urban abilities of these animals and how they can adapt and learn to live in different environments, you know, and, and actually thrive in some of them. Absolutely. Thrive in them. 
I don't want to die either, but I know I have to in order to make a place for my kids to live. Yeah. You know, we can't yeah. live on forever. I mean, it, it, and it, and with, with wildlife, it's twice as bad because mm. they reproduce so much more yeah, and deer. for so much longer. The old have to have to die to make room for the, yeah. for the, or have to move off or something has to happen. But, but, you know, like you mentioned before, maybe some of the bucks do disperse and go somewhere else possibly but those doe are there forever probably yeah well and like i said i don't want to just reach this back to my colleagues at a&m and texas parks and wildlife that publication that uh they put out they just gave an example of uh you know a graph so like you said there's no thing so if you take an example would be a deer population starting with 10 bucks and 10 does and project it for for 10 years so you're just starting with 20 but 20 deer you know in a one-to-one uh, buck doe ratio. Okay, this is 20 deer we're starting with. Starting with, and assuming a 50% fawn crop and a 50% fawn mor- mortality. So half of them die, half of them live, you know, at born. Given none to leave and, and none come in the population, none leave the population. That's the population but, you're starting with. Yeah, because theoretically, even though the males might leave, we got males coming in too. So, mm-hmm. And so, like, it would be like an urban environment, mm-hmm. you know, basically is where predation is little. That population can grow to 769 just in 10 years oh my i was starting with 20 yeah starting with 20 based on you know that twins are the rule Uh after and 20 deer is not many deer no but and just think 10 760 and that's taking out what you figure will survive that's not like in a perfect world where they all survive yeah, like that's, that's taking fifty percent of, of the new of the new birth. Yeah, uh, surviving. But that's saying they can live because in a in an urban environment they live longer. You know the does can produce and live longer. You know, and there is less predation technically. But that's just a lot more cover. Yeah. I mean, the, the wind blows a lot less in town than it yeah. does in the out in the country. And they still and, need cover, but I tell you, they they can just adapt. You know that like when we talk about cover in urban environments for deer, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little different. It's cover. a little bit different, but in some places, like in the hill country, you know, they got cedar breaks in a lot of those, and and they've got walking trails and a lot of those uh, riparian areas that they protect. Which deer are extremely extremely adaptable species. Uh, white-tailed deer are and so uh, and that's kind of unfortunate in this case it is unfortunate in this case uh, well from a human standpoint. from a human and, standpoint and, and actually deer get the get the short end of the stick too of it because they're the ones getting hit by cars you know yeah yeah they're the ones and that, theoretically they were there first you know yeah yes they were you know yeah. I, I mean it, we've had people who complain about the wild hogs who are tearing their neighborhoods up well well they're an exotic invasive species for one well yeah. absolutely but mm-hmm. you know i mean in the same same token they're pretty adaptive too oh Oh, they're they're the highly most highly prolific large game animal in North America. Yeah. Yes, and that, we we will definitely be talking more about wild hogs yeah. and stuff. If we did that same population graph with ten hogs and ten sows and ten boars and projected for ten years, I don't even know. I'd be scared to look at what population growth would be on those animals. <laughs> yeah, I don't have it with me, but yeah, they're very prolific. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I hope that I hope that we touched on maybe a little bit of the science involved with 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 this deer and human interaction and and maybe some some ways that people are trying to deal with it and some methods of possibly possibly doing so yeah and it uh, comes back to brad we've got to get along with our neighbors we've it does get along and we got to you got to come to you got to and, and that's such a problem in the world mm-hmm. today that nobody can find neutral ground on anything. and we've got to respect differing opinions respect you have to still res- respect you, the person that's giving it you know and hear them out and listen to them you know because whether they may be right or wrong or scientifically right or scientifically wrong. Well, it's wrong, one of those things There's so much gray area. Yes. You know, nobody's right, nobody's wrong because it's a difference of thought, you know. I mean, so and so what you what one person is going to be total opposite, but in the end you got to do what's best for 
for the animals and, and for the people. Yes, and that's where these discussions are going to have to be had, and they're going to continue to be had and probably will increase as we have more and more people move into our area specifically. You know, Temple, Hutto, Thorndale, Thrall, it's coming this area big time. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, and and so so that's a little bit of that. Um, I think we pretty much covered just about it. Well, the only thing left, I think, Chance, that you mentioned was, you know, how that how when you get too many deer, that messes up the uh, the ecosystem. It messes up the life with other organisms. I guess you said. Well, like yeah, people- like I said on that one of those episodes, especially like East over there, like where Eve's neck of the woods over there in the East, like deer are considered a keystone species, and even places in Texas, I would agree with that and agree with them wholeheartedly. Too many deer can change the plant community stage, you know, it can change because deer are selected, just like Cal said. They will continue to eat the best plant out there, the most nutritious, and they'll eventually. And there's other animals that need this species, yes. too. It's not just that the, the deer run no. out of food. There's other no. things that those deer can outcompete. Yeah, and a lot of these a lot of these plants that they're eating and hurting and changing the vegetation composition of the community or plant community or forest, some of those plants may be uh host for butterfly larva specific you know a lot of the butterfly larva are plant specific you know as host and uh some of those you know are for butterflies so the system it's a system and you know even even as much as we try to study the system you still there's a lot about the system you don't know but it's a very highly connected think of it like a giant uh a spider web that spider web it basically kind of has main strands that hold it yes, together you bust those, one of those it throws the whole thing yeah off. those would be like your limiting factors mm-hmm. take out one of those that's one of them but then you got the main strands kind of like what they call you know a keystone block you know like in when buildings like if you're an engineer or build stuff you know what a keystone stone is you know it's, it holds everything together that's why they're called right? keystone species some of those bands on a spider web would be a keystone species and then all the little bitty intricacies are all of the little small species and how they fit in there together it's kind of how i how i look at it the ecosystem type level so if you manage and if you manage these deer numbers you'd be surprised at the other things you start to see that yes come back. because like i said it, it, they're considered a keystone species so in a forest landscape you know, the forest is the trees. I mean, basically, if trees are changing the composition of the forest and what's going to, so what's there now, and when those trees are died, what's here at ground level, if the deer are altering that, well, what's going to be the future forest? So that's what you got to look at, and that's what those forest managers are looking at out east, and that's why they're considered a keystone species. And I think there are keystone species in areas of Texas as well. You know, same thing can happen here as well, especially when they become overabundant. Sure. And so I guess that kind of is that in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a topic that is going. It's very important. And it's going to get even more important as the years go by, and more and more urban sprawl continues to happen, not just in Texas but everywhere. It's going to be an issue. And like I said, it's an issue that we need to use the best science and listen to the scientists, and we also need to listen to and respect one another as well. Absolutely. You know, and uh, and like I said, the goal. The goal is the application of ecological knowledge to wildlife species and their plant and animal counterparts in a manner which strikes a balance between the needs of those species and the needs of people. That's where we've got to come together and meet. Yes, and and so and that, that's that's universal. Universal, universal. There's not a place you could go to where the, that doesn't apply. No. Yep. And so that's it, kind of in a nutshell, guys. And again, I've heard the I've heard Eve's uh, first episode. She's put it out there on her website. It's evebishop.net. 
and you can go and listen to her first episode and and uh she's got more parts to her series coming out but but uh i appreciate her uh reaching out giving us this idea i guess you would say and so uh, uh hopefully everybody got something out of that but again i guess that's it for this week uh hope everybody has a a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend what's left and uh i guess me and chancy will be talking to y'all again next week sometimes all righty well enjoyed it brad every one of y'all until next time take care y'all have a good week and we'll talk to you later